0: You're listening to Cornerstone Conversations, a podcast by Cornerstone in Fort Worth, Texas. My name is Jeremy McNair, and I'm the worship pastor here at Cornerstone, and I'm joined as always by our lead pastor, Bobby Harrell. Together, we love to take content from our Sunday morning series and apply them in a whole new and more in-depth way for our listeners. We would love for you to be a part of these ongoing conversations. So as you listen, if you have any comments, questions, or feedback that you think would be wonderful contributions to what's happening here, you can text all those comments to 817-809-3040. We'll take all the very best and most applicable content and we'll develop them into our conversations here. Today we begin a new conversation as we transition away out of our discussion over Michael Bird's seven things I wish Christians knew about the Bible and transition into our new series here at Cornerstone called Hall of Faith.
1: Jeremy, one of the things that has been a big topic of discussion among the staff as we got into the last half of last year of 21 and we're preparing our sermon content and where we wanted to go in this new year is we have really been discussing a lot among the staff about how to understand the Bible.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And this is why we just got out of our two week conversation about Michael Bird's book, that's all about the things that he wished Christians knew about the Bible, because there's an increasing spotlight on biblical
1: illiteracy, which is something that you even mentioned in your sermon on Sunday. Right. And, you know, you and I have, as we've wrestled interpreting books of the Bible for expository series and dealt with theological issues. One of the big things that you and i have discovered is that early in our walk with christ we were not necessarily taught how to do exegesis on the bible we weren't really taught how to read the bible we were told to read the bible yeah actually let me pause you for a
0: second because even on sunday you use this word exegesis And someone commented on our live stream saying, is he saying exit Jesus? And I would love if you could just give
1: a summation of what exegesis is. Exegesis is just a critical academic approach to interpreting a literary work. Okay. So exegesis is digging and researching and comparing and studying so that you have a very systematic way to say, this is what this author is saying to us it's a way of doing interpretation yeah so there's other theological words that are equally as complicated another one's hermeneutics and they're very closely related but it's all has to do with the science Mm. of how to interpret scripture yeah okay and so to talk more in layman's terms what we're saying is you know it's one thing to say read your bible it's another thing to say hey who wrote this book Mm. Because again, the Bible is a collection of sixty-six books. Yeah, what genre of writing is this? Right, because they're not all the same. Some are poetry, some are history, some are narrative, some are you know apocalypse.
0: Yeah, I was actually reading a book this week that compared the Bible to being a bookshelf. You have to see it as a bookshelf
1: filled with books. And this is a great way of really explaining the Bible. The Bible is a collection. Mm-hmm. Let's use bookshelf. That's good. The Bible is really a bookshelf of sacred writings yeah. and sacred writings include sacred songs. Mm-hmm. And matter of fact, the Psalms are one of the most quoted books in the Bible. Yeah. The new Testament writers quote Psalms continually, and it's easy to understand why, because you know what things stick in your head song lyrics. Yeah. I like to make fun of you often because normally, you know, when people go
0: home, they're singing the songs. You know, that's the thing that gets stuck in their right. mind. This thing that you know, So you're, really you're often run, telling
1: me nobody's gonna remember. No one remembers I the sermon. They're, is, they're gonna remember, they're gonna the, remember songs. the songs, and right.
0: you know, while that's not necessarily you there, know 100 accurate, yeah, there, is there is some truth some truth to the fact that a melody gets stuck in sure. your mind and heart in a way.
1: Well, and think about it too. You know, you, we try to deliver fresh content every week, mm-hmm. and we know why that's good. Yeah, I don't need to explain why that's good, but it is problematic. Because you sing not the same songs every week, but we sing songs, let's say on a rotation. Yeah, we we would say that we have a
0: canon of songs, even a a hymnody
1: of our music here. And you prayerfully and strategically cycle through Mm -hmm. that list of songs. for It could be what's appropriate to the upcoming message. It could be appropriate to what God's doing in our body life Mm -hmm. here at Cornerstone. It could be, I've seen you pick songs based on if we had a funeral that week Mm -hmm. that affected the church family and they either needed to be reflective or maybe they needed to be cheered. Where the music
0: kind of becomes a ministry in
1: itself. The music is a ministry where, you know, we're singing to the Lord, but it's creating a a heart of worship in us and Mm -hmm. it's meeting our needs as we sing about what God can do or has done. Yeah. And so anyway, when you go through a song that we love, like there's joy in the house of the Lord. It's mm-hmm. one of my favorite modern songs that, yeah. that a congregation's doing. How many times might we sing that in a year?
0: Probably six, six to eight times, because okay. we usually don't repeat a
1: song more than every other month. Sure. So even though, and again, I want to say we do a great job of that where we're very conscious about not over repeating a song. Yeah. Still, if you get it four or five, six times a year, over a period of a couple of years. And of course they go out of rotation. We don't keep them in for years, right? It's also an interesting thing that not many songs are that timely that they make the transition for a broad span of years. Mm-hmm. They're seasonal with what's happening in our lives as well. And yeah, with the freshness of the lyrics, but anyway, the, they get into your head because you hear them. Right over and over, which is the case with the Psalms. That was the song book of the Jews. And so they come together and sing through the song book and they didn't rotate the songs out intentionally like we do. They collected them and kept going through them, but there are songs in there that are Psalms of ascent, which means these are songs you sing on the way to church as you climb the mountain to worship, right? There are songs, you know, written for different reasons. So like, you know, they may have sung some of the same handful of songs as they were preparing for worship every week. Mm-hmm. Uh, when my m- mother was a child attending church, they opened the service every week with the doxology. Mm, yeah, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above you heavenly hosts. Praise father, son, and holy ghost. And they sang that every week. Well, listen, there's some benefit to that because even as a in a childlike mind, it's in there.
0: Yeah, well, even, you know, we just finished recently the Apostles' Creed series. Every single week, we as a congregation repeated the Apostles' Creed because there is some value to repetition and having something become part of what the church declares together. Yes. And that declaration is powerful. Yes, and the way that it you know retains in your memory, so yeah, exactly. So back back to the Bible being a bookshelf, the
1: Psalms are very clearly different than the Book of Philippians. And so you wouldn't interpret in the same way. The Book of Proverbs; these are wise sayings. Yeah, and again, I could just very briefly use an example because Proverbs is not approached correctly. Mm-hmm. People think what they're reading in the Book of Proverbs; these are statements from the throne of God that will always be true. Mm. That's not what proverb means. Proverb is a wise saying. Yeah. And so a wise king wrote a book of wise sayings. Mm-hmm. And how many people have read that with the wrong lens on and said, well, I took my kids to church when they were little. I brought them up in the way of the Lord. Why aren't they living for the Lord right now? You see, God didn't tell the truth or God let me down. No, you've got a misunderstanding about what proverbs is. These are wise sayings. Mm. So. Anyway, the books are different. They have to be approached differently. Yeah. And one of the big crises that we have on the mission field trying to train pastors on how to reform and how to do discipleship is we first are realizing now we have to back up even from that and teach them. We have to teach you how to read the Bible all over again. Yeah. Because you've got a lot of bad theology and bad practice that has come from trying to interpret, let's say, Numbers and Deuteronomy and apply it in the same way you're trying to the book of Philippians. And that's not going to work.
0: It's just not because they're very different things written for very different purposes to very different groups of people. So that's actually a really interesting comparison. We've got the old Testament and the new Testament. One thing that happens in this new series that we're delving into is we're kind of basing it in the new Testament with the source material being from the old Testament. And we're purposefully choosing a passage of scripture that melds the two
1: together. Do you want to speak at all yeah, to that? Because here's the broad principle that we want to communicate. In order to understand the New Testament, the New Testament authors are constantly referring to Old Testament characters. Mm-hmm. Now, just remember, they don't have a New Testament. Yeah, They're writing the New Testament, but they don't always know they're writing the New Testament. Right. Could that be any more confusing?
0: Well, yeah, exactly. S- because I think about even, you know, when Paul writes, all scripture is God breathed. When he talks about that, the scripture that he's referring to is the Old Testament is the Old Testament. And we're not saying that the New Testament isn't also God breathed, Correct. but when he's writing it, he's speaking to right. the Old Testament.
1: Their mindset wasn't, Hey, I'm going to sit down and write a new book for the Bible. Right. They were writing and the church, again, we talked about this a few weeks ago in the podcast, mm-hmm. how the books of the Bible became canonized right? and what's involved in something being declared canonical. Mm -hmm. There is a criteria for that. I don't want to repeat that because we went for an hour on that subject, but there was a way that books got determined to be, you know, sacred. Mm -hmm. Let's say that and put in the Bible, but kind of authorized in that usage. When the new Testament writers are writing and they say scripture or they say you know, God's word, mm-hmm. they're, they're, referring to the old Testament. Yeah. And so they constantly use as their examples, Abraham, Abel, Adam, Noah, yeah. Moses.
0: And you Elijah, know what you even on David. Sunday referenced this, that we, as modern day pastors make this same statement where we are constantly referencing these old Testament characters.
1: But what's our bad habit that you and I have talked about so often?
0: We say things like, and you know the story of dot, 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 fill in the blank of right. an Old Testament character. And you find very quickly that, again, this goes back to that question of biblical literacy because biblical literacy is decreasing. Less and less people know of these characters. However, when the New Testament is being written, these people knew the Old Testament characters. Correct. That
1: is correct. And so the new Testament writers are using the old Testament characters as examples to an audience that's living hundreds or thousands of years later. Mm -hmm. And they're saying to their audience, Hey, I want to tell you the story of Adam or Moses or Abraham. And by referring to the old Testament character, they're now going to take that person's story and use it as a launching point to bring the story that God wants to tell up to date Mm to the period of the apostles. yeah. So as the apostles are writing the New Testament, they're taking the Old Testament characters and using them to update the story at a New Testament time frame. In other words, Abraham did this, or God did this in the day of Moses, yeah. but now look what God's doing today in a similar way, or maybe in a different way. Yeah. They would tell the story freshly. Now the issue then becomes, if you're reading the New Testament and you don't know who the Old Testament Characters are mm-hmm. you're lost, yeah, in the story of the New Testament because it is a bringing up to date of the old story. Yeah, here's what happened in the old days. Now, look what God has done recently through Jesus Christ, and now, here's what happened since Jesus mm. and everything that Abraham, Moses, Adam, whoever was thinking about and talking about has come to pass through Christ, and here's how the story is being updated right before your very eyes. But if you don't know the story of these people, you see where people are reading the Bible and the words are flat on the page, or it's boring, or I'm lost, or I'm confused. Or like the Ethiopian, remember reading in the chariots. What was his famous statement? Do you understand what you're reading? How can I? How can I? Except someone should guide me. The Ethiopian said, I'm reading Isaiah in a New Testament time period. So he's in the book of Acts. Reading an old Isaiah mm-hmm. fifty-three, and he says this does Isaiah speak of himself, mm-hmm. or does Isaiah speak of someone who should come? I'm lost in the story, is what the man says. Right. Is the man talking about himself? This Isaiah, is he writing about himself? He was wounded before our transgressions, yes, who? he was bruised. Yeah, you know, who is this person and who, who who's going is to the be antagonist wounded? here? And what is are happening? we going to be healed? Yeah. And so then Philip. Comes alongside him in the chariot and says, no, Isaiah is talking about the Messiah that should come, but he has recently appeared in recent times. And he, and then he told him the whole story of Jesus yeah. and led him to Christ right there on the side of the road and baptized him right there. Yeah. So it, we can get lost in the story. And, and one of the things we talked about here Sunday was biblical literacy is an all time low. Yeah. In other words, other generations have known the Bible better than we are knowing it right
0: now. And there was more of a cultural understanding of the Bible. Yes. Where, especially, I mean, you could take... Especially in America. Especially in America, where if you were to pull people just generally, let's say, especially in the 50s through 70s, everyone knows all the Bible characters. Yes. And then from then on until the present, you've seen a dramatic decline in what people know culturally again
1: secular european and american literature mm-hmm. people who write poetry people who write you know great novels make biblical allusions all the time
0: well think about artwork in general think about just the, the classic artwork you look at you know michelangelo's works and the sistine chapel and all these things they are very vivid biblical portraits correct and it just showed how commonplace the Bible stories and biblical understanding was. Right. You know, the statue of David could be made and there wasn't a question of who David was. That's right.
1: And again, first book ever printed on a movable type press. Mm-hmm. Gutenberg's famous invention is the Bible. Yeah. And as the Bible becomes the most read book in the history of the world. Yeah. You know, there was a great I'm not saying it was always applied correctly or, you know, no. all that, but people knew who the characters were and they knew the words of the Bible. I mean a good example. So uh, my dear friend, Corneliovo pastors in Romania buried his dad today. Mm-hmm. And Pavel was a hero of the faith in Romania, wow. his dad and Cornell. We've exchanged a few emails in the last 48 hours. And uh, as I wished him condolences and our prayers with his family. And he said, you know, my dad had memorized all the Psalms. Wow. And most of the other key passages of the Bible. Can you imagine? So when you talk about t- today to someone. You know, and, and I don't want to beat against technology because I use it and, and love it, but mm-hmm. we spend a lot more time, yeah. you know, doing some TikTok or some games or some Facebook or whatever as a stress reliever and, and in our downtime or we're, you know, we're up on the latest series, you know, even you and I, we're into pop culture and we're talking about the latest series that's being shown on yeah. TV. And, yeah. You know, where in the old days that just wasn't available. People right. were into the Bible a lot. So anyway, you know, not to beat a dead horse, but biblical literacy is an all-time low. Yeah. In fact, we took a quiz from our people here at Cornerstone just live in the service. Yeah, which was both an intimidating and fun yeah. kind of a little exercise because a lot of people are like, ah, Bible quiz schmiz. Give yeah. me this thing. I've been in church all my life.
0: Yeah. And what we found was it was a very mixed bag of results. Yeah. It was a tough quiz. Yeah. I, the average grouping of people got about a 70% and we have a very... I would say we have an above average biblical literacy within our congregation here at Cornerstone. Sure. But 45% of our people scored in kind of the 70% range of answers. And, you know, I think that's, again, I think we're above average, but still very much the trend.
1: Right. And, you know, I mentioned this Sunday, and I don't want to be against, you know, timeliness and brevity, but The modern church is structured in such a way now where we're only together for about an hour a week. Yeah. It's really hard to have a robust worship service and a very meaty, meaningful message and get people out. Before football. Before football and lunch. Yeah. And so, you know, we need to really, all we say all of this to say this, we want to really challenge our church that you know, being biblically literate is an important part of you getting things right when it comes to interpreting scripture, Yeah, when it comes to doing exegesis, again, being able to understand what the text is saying in its original meaning to to its original audience. Which is again, exactly why we have
0: switched in our hall of faith series to focus in specifically to Hebrews chapter 11 that has pillars of the faith from the old Testament. These wonderful ancestors, of our spiritual genealogy, our spiritual family tree, but they're characters that are from the Old Testament that maybe we've taken for granted the general understanding
1: of. When you and I wanted to go, as we were planning, we wanted to go teach on some of the characters from the Old Testament, Mm -hmm. but where do you start? And which ones do you include and which ones do you exclude? So you and I decided we will defer to the author of Hebrews Mm -hmm. and we will use his or her Hebrews chapter 11 Yeah as a great starter list of characters that our church members should know. Yeah, And so we're using the Hebrews 11 lists, but now that sets up something bigger though. Now we have to explain though, a little bit about Hebrews, Mm -hmm. which is what you did Two weeks ago. Two Sundays ago, yeah. You gave the introduction to the book of Hebrews. Mm-hmm. And, you know, let's just recap in big terms for everybody. We don't definitively know who the author is. No, we know a lot about who the
0: author is based on the way that they write. So some of the things that they say in Hebrews sound very similar to Pauline statements. So very similar to the things that the Apostle Paul has said. There's a lot of reasons to think that Paul was the author. However, lots of wonderful... Gifted and knowledgeable scholars say, you know, it's close, but not identical to the way that Paul writes. So it it could
1: have been a traveling companion of Paul. Which is a very, I think, solid option. So let's talk about who those people, could. that could be Luke. Mm Mm-hmm. That could be Barnabas.
0: Yeah, and again, Luke is an interesting one because when you look at the percentage of the New Testament, when you have the book of Luke and the book of Acts, Luke actually wrote a very large percentage more of your— more, more than Paul. More than Paul
1: of your New Testament, and we forget about that. Yeah, because we always say, well, Paul wrote more than half of your New Testament. Right. Actually, Luke, word-wise, wrote more than Paul. Right. Priscilla and Aquila are also on Priscilla that list. Priscilla
0: and Aquila are a really interesting option because there's a few times where— It would have been, I don't want to say scandalous, but definitely more difficult for a woman to have presented writing and have it seen as scholarly. And a lot of people think that the reason why there's no author attributed to the text is because they didn't want to put her name on it.
1: To have the text be called into question
0: for its content. When the content is solid as valid as anything Paul wrote. Yeah.
1: So and the, the short answer is we don't know, we don't know, but it was canonized, yeah. which meant that all the early church fathers are quoting from it, right? They believed in it mm-hmm. and there's some solid evidence that it passes all of those canonicity tests that we talked about in previous podcasts.
0: Yeah, I think that was two, two episodes ago or so. Yeah. And so we know generally the kind of person it was. We know that whoever it is, is very intellectual. It is a lofty piece of writing. And not only that, the person is very knowledgeable, both in current culture, as well as a student of the Old Testament in the Old Testament world.
1: They clearly know. Again, the book is called to the Hebrews or the book of Hebrews, right? And again, so which which works perfectly for our purposes, because we want to talk about the Old Testament character, which are Hebrews, yeah. which are Jews. You and know, in that that's case,
0: exactly. So you take a text where the author clearly knew which characters were one, very notable for their faith, because that's the point of the chapter, but two, very notable in their notoriety. The author purposefully picked people that the audience would understand, hear, and know
1: these are important people to note. And even later, characters we haven't got to yet, mm-hmm. where he doesn't use their name. Right. But when he says, these stopped the mouths of lions. Yeah. We all know who that is. Right. Well, again.
0: See, so you're taking it for Taking
1: granted. it for granted again. Yeah. But his audience would have said, ding, 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 Daniel. Right. Immediately. And there would have been no gray area on that. Right. There's
0: even a line that the author uses where they say, and there's so many more that I can't even talk about it. There's too many to even mention how many more characters there are that exemplified this faithful living that Hebrews 11 is all about.
1: And so, you know, when you gave the overview, Hebrews kind of reaches a zenith climax type moment coming out of 11 and into 12. Mm -hmm. Therefore. Seeing you are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Which, what a wonderful line. So, the witnesses is what we are talking about. Yes. When we say, who are these witnesses and what is their purpose? You know, it's not necessarily that they're seeing everything you do, but he's using them as an audience saying, these people are cheering you on. Mm-hmm. We think about the Old Testament characters as being behind us. Mm. Because you have to turn to the left in your Bible, you know, to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers and Judges to find these people that yeah. we're talking about. These are old people who are way behind us. We need to reverse that thinking. Yeah. These people we're talking about are Christians who have gone ahead of us. Mm-hmm. Think of them as pioneers or trailblazers. Right. They have gone before us. And so as we face misunderstanding and hardship and persecution and famine and pandemic and political upheaval and warfare, and we think, oh my goodness, you know, nobody's ever lived through this. Mm-hmm. Yes, they have. And yeah. that's part of the purpose of the list is to say, no, these people aren't behind you in, in living for the Lord. These people are actually ahead of you. Yeah. They've already run the race.
0: It is. They are foundational.
1: Yeah. And it's almost like being at a football field and the dads Mm -hmm. and the hall of famers are up in the press box and in the stands they've already played the game. They've already won their rewards or awards or whatever. And now they've kind of sat down and they're watching while we execute and they're cheering us on. And they are saying the second verse of that Hebrews 12 is, you know, looking unto Jesus Mm. Keep your eyes on you. They're cheering for us to run as they ran by faith. And to say to us, keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. He is both a pioneer and also the perfecter of our faith. Yeah. So anyway, that's kind of the, the background, I would say the foundation for the series that we're going to teach the witnesses then are taken from chapter 11 and we're going to go through basically a character a set of character studies, which we started on Sunday. And uh, when the character studies open, he talks about creation first. By faith, we believe in creation. And then he goes quickly to the first witnesses, which are we taught a new word to the congregation, a theological word, antediluvian. Antediluvian, which means pre flood, and the A N T E, anti, like anti up, mm-hmm. put your money on the table before we start the game, before the flood, antediluvian witnesses. And he uses Abel as one of those witnesses. And again, Abel, you know, when you're reading the book of Genesis, is it like a minor character? Well, he's not in it for long. Just half a page, you're in, you're out and moving on. Yeah. And so several of these characters that he's going to mention are people, we might think are minor characters, but they're included in the story for some reason. Mm Mm-hmm. And the reason must be a big reason because they're getting mentioned. So I just want to take like with Abel, Abel is not only mentioned by the writer of Hebrews, Abel's mentioned in the preaching of Jesus. Mm. I mean, you know, other New Testament people are referring to these people and using it in the the story they're telling. This happened to Abel. This is happening now. Abel stands in the preaching of Jesus as somebody who was murdered for his religious beliefs yeah someone who gave god proper worship and yet was persecuted for it killed for it and so you know that gives a lot of validity to the life of someone and the testimony of someone when jesus uses them in his own sermon right and so the writer of hebrews moves pretty quickly then to enoch again which is i'm gonna say minor character not because of important but just like, as far as the percentage of time that he's, there's like four or five verses, yeah, in the Old Testament about Enoch, and that's in in chapter five. So Abel is chapter four of Genesis, Enoch is chapter five, and about right here is where we want to stop and say, okay, hold on. If these are minor characters, why did the author of Genesis put them in? Yeah. Now we're getting to exegesis again. How do we ask the right questions? And we illustrated this in some silly ways on Sunday with Jack and Jill. And you had had to be there to experience that. I won't recreate it right now, but you wanna ask the question, why is Moses writing the book of Genesis? Mm -hmm. So if you're gonna study these people's stories, you have to know why the original person who put them in the Bible is Moses. Right? Why did he put them in the story? What story is Moses trying to tell? And something that's interesting to kind of wrap your brain around is let's say we're standing there with moses at mount sinai sure he's getting the law from god and he's going to begin to write things down and eventually we'll write genesis exodus leviticus numbers and deuteronomy mm-hmm. those books will get put in the ark of the covenant copied and they'll be kept and preserved we know that there are other people added a little to that mm-hmm. Because in those writings, it talks about now the death of Moses was like this. Obviously, Moses—he's he, not the one writing at he, that point. Yeah, he didn't write his fu- own funeral. Yeah, let's just say that. Uh, so somebody obviously took his writings and added then some logical
0: conclusions. We, yeah, yeah,
1: because we want to read that and say, well, what happened to Moses? If we never know, <laughs> so somebody had obviously had to say, it's a "Real
0: cliffhanger." It's like a series on TV not <laughs> yeah. getting their last season.
1: Yeah. yeah, you can't just leave it dot dot dot. Yeah. we've got to know that. Okay, Moses died and here's what happened And because Moses is going to be somebody they talk about in the New Testament. So mm-hmm. we need to know his story, although he's writing other stories. right? So when Moses is writing, let's just say we're standing there at Sinai, they're living, they have just lived the Exodus. Mm. So everybody standing here understands the Exodus story. We just walked through the Red Sea Okay. Yeah. We were slaves for fa- We were those people who made the bricks. Mm-hmm. So we get the Exodus story. Now we've made a covenant with God at Sinai to be his people. Yeah. So Moses is explaining to them what this covenant relationship is like. And then Moses is writing, you know, N- numbers, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, these books to explain these covenant rules, what life looks like in a relationship with God, mm. but, no doubt the people were saying, but wait, how did we get to be the people of God? Aren't all living people, the people of God? It's a great question at that point. Yeah. Why us and not the Egyptians? Mm-hmm. Why us and not some other group? How is it that we are God's people? And why were we, if we were God's people, why were we slaves? Yeah, somebody needs to explain the backstory. Yeah. So Moses takes in hand to write the book of Genesis led by the spirit of God and genesis is the backstory to the story they are living out in real time
0: yeah which makes sense we've even had a conversation with someone about this maybe yesterday about how the further away we get from the moment of writing the less obviously understood it is for us right so like when we read and we don't immediately understand the contextual nature of the writing It's hard for us. And we forget that it wasn't hard to contextually understand something. It's hard for us because we're
1: separated by distance and many many other cultures. Right. And
0: so the Israelites had the same problem. They were getting further and further away from these events in the early books of the Bible that they're starting to forget what their own story is. They're forgetting what their own history and genealogy looks like. And Moses says, well, we we need to do something about that.
1: So think about this. There's about 4,000 years. We think we don't really know, but we think there's about 4,000 years of history Mm -hmm. represented from the creation to the new Testament, to the Mm -hmm. end of the old Testament. Yeah. And when I say we don't know the part we don't know is at the very beginning. Yeah. Okay. The Kings and all of this are pretty well chronicled and all of this, but the real medieval, the real, the antediluvian period is what if anything's fuzzy, it's that, but most biblical scholars and the, the famous guy usher, Made a chronology of the Old Testament called Annals of the World, and about four thousand years of history. Yeah. When you look at he was born and he died and he fathered, and when you find you know events in history that correspond with those things, and what they a can, project! Yeah, yeah about four thousand years of history from Genesis to the close of you know the Old Testament. Twenty five hundred of those years are in the Book of Genesis. Wow! So you see what's happening here. Yeah. You have a disproportionate amount of history being covered in one book Mm -hmm. and the whole rest of the old Testament only covers a fraction more history. Yeah. So why are 2,500 years of history from creation to Joseph compressed into the book of Genesis? Simple. That's the story Moses wanted to tell. It's clearly a cliff notes. It has to be. Backstory. Yeah to how we came to be God's people, right? Here's where the Hebrews came from. That's why Genesis tells the story of Abraham Mm -hmm. or did Abraham come from? Well, there's a good question. Why did God make a covenant with Abraham? He had tried with Noah. What went wrong there? He had tried with Adam. What went wrong there? Mm -hmm. And so very in compressed form. The writer of Genesis just use Moses as the writer moves i mean with a blazing pen through 2500 years of history wow and just says listen here are the high points yeah. in the beginning god created the heaven the earth the earth self formed void and You know, say so and so he goes with lightning speed and, and you want to go back and say oh i wish we had more detail which is great i'm glad you bring that up because this is really what a lot of our modern head scratching and question asking is derived from we want to know more about well here's a good question how long were adam and eve in the garden before they (laughs) sinned? okay how long were they out of the garden before cain and abel's story happens Mm -hmm. because they're kicked out of the garden in chapter three cain and abel's chapter four yeah how much time happened between chapter four and the chapter five which leads you to chapter six which is the flood the whole world's corrupt wow so you you have tons of questions about oh i want to know more about this oh i want to know more about the how the creation happened or Mm -hmm. how the surgery happened with Adam or I, I want to know more about, you know, life in the Garden of Eden and that talking serpent. And, and here's what I want to keep saying to people. That's not the story Moses is telling. And you're not going
0: to get the answer you're looking for because you're asking the wrong question.
1: The book of Genesis was not designed to be a physical science book. Mm-hmm. It's not designed to answer all of the modern questions That we want to know are there other people if they were in the garden of eden for a thousand years are there other people outside the garden of eden at that point i mean there's questions that we have and you and i as we read all kinds of theology books written from a broad spectrum of backgrounds Mm -hmm. you know we hear people posit questions and you know make suppositions and the answer is you just don't know yeah why don't we know god why didn't you tell us that's not the story he's telling yeah he's telling a story about how Israel became his people and how they got from inception to slavery to liberation. And that's why Moses wrote the book of Genesis. And it's
0: a story that's being told at hyperspeed.
1: Hyperspeed, 2,500 years compressed in 50 chapters. Yeah, so you have to be okay not having all the details. Right, because it answers the questions it was written to answer. right? See, and, and we're mad at Moses because he didn't tell us all these things we wanna know wait till you meet moses moses is going to thump us on the head and moses is going to say dude i wrote five books how many did you write yeah. and i wrote one at hyperspeed right. to compress world history 2500 years of world history so that everybody would know how israel came to be mm-hmm. that's why i wrote it yeah i didn't write it to answer who are the sons of god in genesis chapter number six mm. yeah say so you can suppose all you want but you have to keep coming back to the question. If the answer is not given and an explanation, not given. here's a good one. Enoch, Enoch lived for so and so many years, and he was not for God took him. Yeah. Okay. We want to know more about that. If I say rapture moment, right? Translation is the word theologians use. It means to take from one form to another. He went from the physical world to the heavenly realm without tasting death. Well, I'd like to know a whole lot more about that. I'd like a whole book on that. I would love more details. Yeah, because he and Elijah are the only two in all of those Old Testament books that experience that type of translation, transformation right. from, from one realm to another realm. If you and I had a magic portal where we could move between the two realms, we'd love to know information about that. Yeah. Okay, why is it not given in the Bible? It's not the story they're trying to tell.
0: And you know what was interesting is even in my own study of Hebrews the past few weeks, one thing that I noticed was that the author of Hebrews didn't really clarify what happened to Enoch. We don't really know more detail about the circumstances surrounding God taking him away. All we know is that there was purpose behind it. We know the why, but we don't know the what. We just know it generally happened. But we know that it happened because he was approved as one who pleased God by his
1: faith. And so you ask yourself then, okay, why does the writer of Hebrews include Enoch? Mm-hmm. Or why did Moses include Enoch? Because in a time when the world had lost its mind and rebelled against God, here stands a man mm-hmm. who went against the tide and lived by faith. When the world said, there is no God, we're way too sophisticated for that good night, man. It's 3000 BC. We're way too sophisticated for God. Yeah. You know, they had all other kinds of answers for how the world came to be. And, and we will build towers to the sky. And they had all kinds of ancient religions. When the world had rejected God, here stands a man who lived by faith and got up every day and said, I'm going to live today as if God is real. Yeah. That's why he's included. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says there may only be like four verses about him over there but he's this bright, shining light in a dark moment in history. Yeah. And maybe that's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say to some of his peers mm. in the first century, as they're being persecuted by Rome. Listen, times may get a little crazy again. Yeah. Get up every day and decide you're going to live for the Lord today. Live by faith because this pleases God.
0: Yeah. He just made a statement that said he's going to live as though God is real. And that's also the definition you gave of faith last Sunday. Right. And even two weeks ago, I paralleled the difference between hope, which is very much a future tense item and paralleling that to then with faith being living now as though hope is real. Right. As though hope is great. What we hope for has already been fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. There you go.
1: We should hope yeah, for a better world, a new world, a better body. We do hope for, you know, all of these things, but hope is not the same as living by faith. When no. you add faith to your hopes, mm-hmm. now you're living. You're not just living as if, oh, I hope it happens. You're saying it will happen, or it has already happened, or I'm living proof that it's happened. Yeah. Or, yeah.
0: Is the difference between wishful thinking and living with confidence now. Correct. And we have reason to live with confidence now.
1: Correct. And so he says, I want you to know what faith is. He, Cause he defines it again. There, Faith is the. You know, reality. Reality, which is a wonderful translation of a word that many
0: translations have gotten kind of off.
1: It it got a little wonky there. Reality is the best translation because it said reality means how we live this week.
0: It is the present tense right now.
1: Our real life, the way we're living right now, our reality is that Christ has died for our sins and rose from the dead and the new creation has been launched. Right. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and we have already been declared victors. Mm -hmm. We are already declared conquerors. We are overcomers. Start living like it.
0: And that is faith is that present understanding.
1: Present understanding that God is real. This is all true. And you can live with confidence today that it is. Right. And when you live by faith, the writer of Hebrews says, this is how you please God. Mm-hmm. and you are approved yeah approved by god is an actual approved. phrase that's used approved, here but use it multiple times yeah and he'll use it with these Old testaments. For he was approved for he was approved and by faith he was approved yeah you know he offered a more excellent sacrifice and he was approved before god so yeah if you want to know that today when you pillow your head and you close your eyes tonight that you have pleased god today that he approves of how you lived then you live by faith today. Wow, that what a correct. statement. That is correct. There's one other thing I wanna bring up and we're probably coming near the end of our time in this podcast, but one of the things I wanna point out as we look at the characters that we'll be covering through all of these weeks, one of the things that fascinates me is that when I read the Old Testament and I see some of these characters, the Old Testament portrays their real actual lives in gritty detail. Yeah. And holds nothing back. It's not glossed over. Most of
0: the people I would say in this chapter in Hebrews 11 that are specifically called out for their
1: God approved, faithful living are really complicated, flawed people. Which again, I want to say, this is why, you know, the Bible's not a made up book Mm -hmm. because people are complex. Yeah. People are not flat on the page again. Yeah. People are multidimensional and people are a combination of many good things. And some bad things,
0: which is, this is something that people get wrong a lot in the way they read the Bible. They read some of these characters and see some of the terrible things that they did. And they say, oh, well, I guess this is an approval for the way, the terrible way that they're living. We have to be cautious to apply every single thing about every single person in the Bible, because it is a snapshot of them in their rawness and their realness. Right. And with that comes a lot of faults and flaws that we are never meant to emulate in our own lives. Especially when you go
1: way back to these early characters who didn't have a Bible.
0: Right. They have no way to understand the moral code of God.
1: If anything, they have maybe a prophet speaking verbally to them about what God's will is. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it's just very complicated. And what you're going to see as we study these people, I want to prepare everybody, you're going to see some grittiness again, but it's authentic because it's just like us and our families. Yeah. Our families are are complicated. Mm -hmm. Our kinfolk situation is very interesting. And in every family, we have all kinds of personalities Mm -hmm. and sin and different behaviors. And you're going to see that in these people. The point the writer of Hebrews is trying to make is that they were people of faith, even though that you see these flaws in their life. Right. And so one of the things that I want to just call out to everybody is when you see people in the Old Testament, you're gonna see the old testament writers talk about their sins openly. And I'll just use an easy example. David would be a very easy example. There is no glossing over that he murdered a man and stole his wife. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. we could use a much harsher language there. We can. just got yeah, adultery, you know what I'm saying? I mean yeah. conspiracy to commit murder, committing I mean, it's blatant. It's premeditated and it's it's overt. Yeah. Okay. David is the apple of God's eye. Mm. So you have to figure out, how do I reconcile that? Well, look in the mirror. We love the Lord, but sometimes we do horrible things, Yeah. okay? And one of the things I wanna just show people from a high level is when the Old Testament writers talk about these people's lives, they're not gonna cover anything up. Yeah. It's all the sin will be laid bare right out there for everybody to see. But when you get to the New Testament, they're not gonna call Jacob a liar and a schemer. Mm-hmm. They're Not gonna call David an adulterer. Which would be fair they're
0: things gonna, to say. They're you not know? gonna
1: call Moses a murderer. Yeah. Instead, they're gonna say, now these are the heroes of faith. Mm. And I want everybody, again, ask the exegetical question, why, mm. why when you get to the New Testament, are these people, we look up to them and say, you know, here's Abraham and Moses and David, and these are the like the pillars of the faith. Use this language earlier. Yeah. Why are they called the pillars of faith when we see these, you know, sins in their own life story when we read their more biographical material in the Old Testament? Well, that's easy because something happened between the Old Testament and the New Testament that forever changes how we look at people. Yeah. And you have to ask yourself, what has changed? What has changed from cowardly Abraham letting his wife be sold into the king's harem and now Abraham, the father of faith, the father of all those who believe what, what happens between Moses, the murderer and Moses, the revered lawgiver, something happened. And what happened was the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah. So that the sin in the lives of the believer are under the blood of Jesus Christ and you know, I could talk about sin in my life if it would help you. But that's not the biggest story going on in my life. Yeah. Not some sins that I've committed. The biggest story going on in my life is what God has done. Right. And what he's doing in my life to make me more like Jesus Christ. And this seems to be the story that's being told now by the New Testament writers. These flawed people, you know, from the Old Testament, let me bring their stories up to date. Yeah. I'm not going to talk about their sins Because their sins are under the blood of Jesus Christ now. Let's talk about their faith. Which is incredible. It's like they say,
0: the most important thing about this person is not the thing that they did. The most important thing about these people is the person that they place their faith in. Correct, And that's what is most important about us. You know, we can accomplish many great things. We can do really terrible things. But the most important thing about us is not anything that we do and solely rooted in everything that God has done for us. And living now as though that is our reality, living now as though the things that God has done is real, that makes us a person approved by God for our
1: faith. So as we go into the series, I guess my final kind of thought for today is as we go into this series and we look at these characters, you know, you're gonna see both good and bad, but the, the point is they are people of faith, just like you and I. Yeah. They live their lives by faith. And when the story is all told, I don't want people to talk about my failures. Mm -hmm. I want the story to reflect my walking by faith and living for the Lord. Yeah. The reality of his success, the reality of God's success. And if you're worried that maybe you got a late start in life, living for the Lord, there's still time. Yeah. There's still time. You say, well, you know, maybe I lived this wicked life for so many years. I can't counteract that. Now you can. Hmm. Listen. Just start living for the Lord now, and walking by faith, and that will be the story we tell for all of eternity.
0: Yeah. So as I look forward to the rest of this chapter, we have people. You know, you you mentioned Abel and Enoch. We still have Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Maybe we can and, seek a few and, more. and so yeah. many more. Yeah, and, and yeah. people that aren't listed by name, but. That we know because of how they're characterized. Yeah.
1: Who are you most excited to look at? Jephthah is one that I'm excited about. Yeah. Because nobody knows Jephthah's story. Yeah. I think Gideon would be a very interesting because we always get the wrong conclusion from the story of Gideon. Mm-hmm. Everybody comes away with the exact opposite of what God's trying to teach with Gideon, Yeah, you know, that we need to put God to the test and he'll, you know, well, don't spoil it. Okay. I think, you know, the, the author of Hebrews gives me some leeway here at the end mm-hmm. about other prominent personalities. And I want to take some Liberty with that to teach the story of Esther. Yeah. And there's some real twists in that story that I want to talk about. Again, I don't want to give it all away, but I want to tell the story of Esther, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not mentioned by name, but they're mentioned by. By characterization. Characterization. Yeah. Quenched fire, stopped the mouths of lions. We clearly know who they're talking about. And so anyway, it's going to be fascinating. Yeah. We've got some wonderful teaching. I would
0: ask the same question to our listeners as you read through this and you do your own study of Hebrews chapter 11, I would love to know which characters you're most excited to get a deeper study on. Maybe it'll help us know exactly where to land a little bit. Yeah, we can put
1: a little more emphasis right there.
0: Yeah. It'll help us if we know who out of this list you're really excited to learn more about and dig into. So if that's something that you want to do, we would love to welcome your comments and contributions. Again, As you listen, anything that you want to say can be texted to 817-809-3040. Our favorite thing about this podcast is that it's not just me and Bobby sitting here, it's not just us and, and the guests that we have around our table. You are an active part of the conversation with the way that you contribute content. So again, text us in any feedback, suggestions, or answers that you think would be valuable to these conversations. As always, we meet here at Cornerstone every Sunday morning. We would love to have you in person if you're an international listener or even just a friend who's nearby but has heard about this podcast in other ways. We want you to know that we pray for you. We think of you often and we can't wait to continue the conversation of characters in our Hall of Faith in episodes to come.